All right. Welcome back to the Prospecting Show. Today is October 28th. We're nearing the back of the year here. We got Jason Cutter on the Prospecting Show. How are you? I'm doing great, Connor. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So so this start things off, um, I, I know we have this, this format on the show, past, present, and future, and we we're talking a little bit about your past. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of people have this linear progression, right? This like, hey, I did this one thing and I worked at this one company and I had an idea. So I left that company and I built my own company, you know, and kind of went forward. That's what a lot of people yeah. say. But your story is you got this web instead of this linear kind of like points on a graph. You got this marine biology author, you know, consulting. You got a little bit of many different things that you've done. So maybe let's start back at the beginning uh, and give us a little introduction about where you went to school and then how you got up to where you are today. I appreciate the fact that you said it's more like a web than a linear path. I usually refer to it as a windy path or a hot mess, but I like web better. That sounds nicer. Um, yeah, so for me, I grew up in California in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, shy, awkward, late bloomer, only child to two loving but analytical parents. Uh, and I say that because, you know, I essentially grew up in a, a, a basically an anti-sales household. Um, and, you know, some people, they grow up, you know, kind of like what you're talking about, where they grow up maybe in an entrepreneurial family or, you know, a parent was a salesperson and they kind of picked up on that and they ran with it. Uh, that was not me. Uh, went to college for marine biology, like you mentioned, UC Santa Cruz, tagged sharks for several years and realized that to move forward in marine biology, you had to have a master's degree. I mean, I couldn't even get a job for $8 an hour scrubbing boats without a master's degree. Uh, and that's with experience. Uh, and so life took me to the Pacific Northwest. I worked at Microsoft for a couple of years doing tech support when that was still done in the US. And in fact, we all lost our jobs in 2002 to the beginning of outsourcing uh, offshore to places like China and India. Um, and uh, then from there, I got my first sales job at 27 in the mortgage business, which didn't require any sales because it was the, the, the housing boom was going nuts. And that kind of kicked off a, about an 18-year journey in sales and sales leadership. Yeah, and so, you know, as you transitioned out of these non-sales roles and made that leap, like what made you want to make that transition coming from marine biology, you know, not doing tons of sales there other than maybe selling yourself into the role that you're trying to get, um, you know, how do you make that jump? You know, for me, it was uh, many progressions. I literally went to college with the goal of really not dealing with people. Like I didn't really want to deal with people. Uh, in fact, when I was in college, my job that I got while I was in college was in a restaurant. And I didn't even want to be a server, a waiter. I just wanted to be like a, a busser. I just, I don't want to deal with hungry people, let alone just people. Um, and so then I moved up and I had the chance to be a waiter and I embraced it and I was really good at that. Then when I went to work at Microsoft, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm okay dealing with the public, but let me do the tech support side. So I'm helping people and see if that's what I like and get me into a tech role if it wasn't. And then when I entered the mortgage business, which technically it's a sales job, if you will, it didn't feel like sale selling. I wasn't taught anything about it, like literally nothing about selling or persuasion or how you know to actually sell anything. It was almost order taking because it was everyone was just eager to get help. Um, and so I saw that more of this role where I'm helping somebody. It's more of an operational admin role than it is you know, a sales role, like somebody on a, on a car lot trying to sell. 
Um, and, and I think that progression just kind of eased me into it. There wasn't like this, this linear moment or this line in the sand where it was like, okay, now I'm going to enter in sales and welcome to the world of sales. It was like, just creeped up on me over time. Uh, you know, like the frog boiling in the water, you know, starting off cold and warming up. It's like, oh man, all of a sudden I'm in sales. Yeah, well, and I think that some people actually catch themselves that way, right? Especially if you're an entrepreneur, you you kind of go through, you have a great idea, technology idea, an operational idea, finance idea, whatever. And you realize that in order for people to use your idea or your thing or your product or your service, you actually have to sell them on it, right? So you buy natural, you know, a natural instinct is to just put it out there and hope people are going to want it. But you and I both know that's not really how the world works. You actually have to convince people that they have a problem with what they're doing and that you have the solution. So for you, talk a little bit about your consulting company and what you offer to people. So what I found is that a lot of the organizations that I was in and the roles that I had was actually either helping internal teams or helping kind of affiliate offices with their success in what we were selling. And the part that I really enjoyed the most was building sales operations and then also um, fixing, training, coaching, leading, you know, and helping just the whole sales operation, revenue operation get better and better. And what I also found myself in the role every time was sales and marketing. So a lot of times it's sales versus marketing or sales and marketing are separate. Um, for me and organizations, it's always been marketing leads to sales, you know, sales needs marketing and it should be working together. And so I've kind of uh, always been in that role above them. And then as a consultant, basically what I've done is taken all this experience and helping organizations who just, they're missing something in their sales team, either system, uh, systematically, they're just missing things like scripts and processes. Um, you know, like you said, there's the entrepreneur who I love working with where they have an idea, they're great technical founder. Um, they're great at building websites. They're great at performing some kind of service. There's something that they are good at that got them inspired to start their business. And then, like you said, there's the sales side. So they don't want to do the sales side or they're really good at sales, but every time they try to hire a team of salespeople, it doesn't work because they're not training them. They're not coaching them. They also don't understand why everyone else isn't as excited as they are to sell what they're passionate about and live every moment of every day. Um, and then I come in and then I help them build the scripts and the processes so they can just scale up what they're trying to do. Yeah. And, and I think that part is the most important part, right? Is the scalability of the sales team. Cause you're right. There's a lot of founder led sales early on in startups and it's like, Hey, that person can sell a million deals a day, but then you start bringing on the salespeople, even if they're great salespeople, it's like, man, why can't they close anything? They can't close the door. You know what I mean? And yep. it's, and it's a problem and it's this barrier that it's a un, um, it's a nondescript issue where I think it's not it's not really that easy to understand exactly what's going on, right? It's it's they don't understand what the problem is to be able to even fix it. You just know that hey, we hired a bunch of salespeople and no one can close anything. And so at that point, what do you see most of the issues being in the sales process when you make that transition from founder-led sales into the uh, you know the outsourced sales model or bringing in salespeople in-house? Usually what hap uh, the issue is that what's in the founder's head 
is not being documented and created into a sales system or process for others to use. So that's one issue. Um, so it's trapped in their head and they just assume everyone will figure it out um, or they put some basics together. Uh, they also, another challenge can be is that um, the founder expects everyone to sell like they do. One of the problems is, is when you're a, the CEO founder of a company and you're on the phone or in a meeting with a potential client, there's so much more weight, not just the passion and the energy that comes behind it, but the title, like I am the founder, this is my company, I will take care of you, has a lot more weight to it than, hey, I'm an account executive and please buy our product or sign up with us. Um, and so there's, you have to be able to train somebody and empower them to have the right you know, talking points, the skills, whatever for that. And then the third part is, I see a lot of owners who want sales team to take off they don't want to deal with it they don't want to deal with managing salespeople, and so they hire usually really ex either experienced salespeople or inexperienced inexperienced salespeople, depending on what they can afford uh, and then they abdicate everything and they say please just go sell um go do what you should do really well and then i'm going to go do something else and that never works well, well, that's it. The, the second point you made there, there's three big ones, but the second point that you made was actually really interesting. We talked about the, the weight of the founder, right? When the founder gets on the phone, it's like, okay, well, I built this thing for the solution. And there's a great story behind that. Uh, what's interesting in our process is, you know, I take calls all the time and I just tell people, I'm just the enrollment specialist in the company. Right? Like I don't even tell them that I own the thing just to see if I can actually sell it as somebody else. Right. And at the end of the day, if you can put yourself out of the founder role and still sell it, I think that's a pretty strong place to be. And I think what you're talking about is definitely true that the founder really leverages the fact that they're a founder and not necessarily the value of the product or the service to sell it. And then you can't scale it because of that exact issue. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any um, insight into to not necessarily leveraging the, the founder status in the sales process to prove that people actually want to buy it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great way to go because if you if you have to close deals or if your main strategy for closing deals is based on your title or position in the company as your main approach, and I'm not talking about second voicing where your your frontline rep is struggling and you've got to get on the phone as a manager and help solidify and, and regain the trust. I'm talking about like if your whole thing like that scene in the boy in the movie Boiler Room where you know they're talking about you just be whatever you want, make up whatever title, say you're the, the president of the company, right? Like if that's your strategy, then you're either using manipulation or trying to use the the hype or the level that you have to carry through and cover up whatever you might be missing in your sales process. The downside is that will wear off. At some point they'll go, wait a second, I talked to the owner, this still sucks, I'm still unhappy. Now I'm even more unhappy because this person should really know what they're talking about. Yeah, and, and then once they get passed off the founder and go into implementation or whatever the fulfillment is of that business, then they really get upset because it's like, hey, now I can't talk to the person who sold me on it that said they were gonna be evolved. Or the founder gets roped back in into fulfillment of some type, which means he, can't, he or she can't move the company forward because now they're stock managing that one client that's already a pain in the ass. So it's kind of this balance for sure. And removing yourself is super important. You know, with, with the work that you're doing, um, I know you took it one step further and you actually wrote a book on this. So let's talk a little bit about the book, uh, the, the title of it and, and what's included in that book. 
Yeah, so the book is called Selling with Authentic Persuasion, Transform from Order Taker to Quota Breaker. Um, and really, it's a culmination and playbook, if you will, on the mindset, which is the authenticity side, the persuasion, which is the skills. And then there's a third section in the book called uh, the intangibles. Um, but really, it's based on both my experience coming from this you know, awkward, shy uh, upbringing to marine biology, to not wanting to be in sales, to ending up in it and, uh, you know, finding a way to be successful with my own sales style without any training. Um, and then also from all the years of doing what I've done, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of salespeople I've seen come and go within organizations, seeing this thing that I, you know, identify as order takers, people who enter into a sales role. And this goes for sometimes technical entrepreneurial founders who are you know coaches and consultants where they just want to coach they just want to consult they just want to build websites they just want to solve a problem but they don't want to do the sales so they end up defaulting to order taker mode because the other option in most people's mind is to sell which then is on the manipulation end. it's the you know wolf of wall street the used car salesperson kind of persona and they're afraid that like the only way to be successful is to trick people and manipulate and use tactics and and all of those things and so they go to the other extreme because they don't want to they don't want to be a hypocrite they don't like being manipulated so they don't want to manipulate manipulate anybody so they end up being order taken and for me i think there's a very very successful place in the middle which is kind of you know, your style and talking to you which is you have a problem i want to help you my goal is to persuade you to do something that will benefit you and as a result you know it will benefit me uh, if i do my job right yeah, and it's interesting too. I think one of the the neat things about being being a founder and and doing calls too, especially if you're doing enrollment for the company, is I'm always looking for other people to help me too, right? It's not always about like how I can help other people. I open almost every sales call with listen, like, tell me more about your business. I'll tell you about our business, and let's figure out how we can help each other. Because I can, right? Because we can offer that kind of thing. If you're if you're an account manager in a company, it's like, okay, well, you can't really have that kind of conversation. But when I go there, I'm always looking for people who can better our company, right? I want to invest in things. I want to grow the company. I want to have other opportunities just like they want those. So most of the calls that I go on, I feel like we win a lot of them because I don't go in there and just pitch. I don't have a pitch deck. I take only almost only phone calls. I rarely do Zoom. And I just sit there and just say, listen, this is what we have. Like, if you're interested, cool. If you're not, that's cool too. You just let me know, right? There's there's different ways to grow a business. We have a solution that we feel is good. Um, if, if you agree, let's do it. If you don't, that's cool too, right? And I think that that creates, it's a little bit, you know, uh, loose, right? We don't we don't have to pressure close people. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, if you want to, you can get more and more aggressive as you start losing deals. So when you're coaching people, right, or, or consulting people, how do you tell them to get between the passive and the aggressive side? Like there's that kind of um, teeter-totter of, of, of one side and the other. Where do you t typically tell people that they need to be? Uh, I love it. Yes. And there is that balance. There is a line where on one side, you know, it's the dark side of of the intentions, right? It's it's about wanting somebody to buy from you because you need it or you need to hit your numbers this quarter or this month or, uh, or, or else or whatever it is. Um, and so for me to make that shift to get people to go from order takers to quota breakers to the, you know, the path towards sales professional is to, you know, beyond the authenticity and the persuasion, but the biggest mindset shift is to realize that it's your, it's your duty, it's your responsibility. 
it's your place as a salesperson or professional that if you have somebody in front of you that has problem X and you have solution X, then if they don't buy from you and they move on, most likely to put their head back in the sand and most likely not get unstuck from whatever their situation is, um, you've actually let them down and you've failed them um, as you know a professional and personally. And so when you make that shift, then all of a sudden you can be aggressive, but from a place of service where I'm pushing you to buy, not because I care, right? Like I'm pushing you to buy because if you don't, I'm already imagining what's going to happen to you or your business or your life. And I don't want that to happen. And I would feel bad if that happened. Well, that's a, that's a great point that you bring up right there, because I have some people who say, you know, when we pitch our, our business prospecting service, which we deliver as a, a almost a done with you, it's, it's a non-recurring cost by design. Um, there'll be people who go, well, I can't, I can't afford that. Or, or I, you know, we just don't have the money for that. And I go, that's exactly why you need to sign up yeah. because you have no pipeline. That's exactly why you need to do this because everything comes back. Like everyone thinks they have a revenue issue in their business, which is really, let's just work it backwards. It's a lack of customer issue, which means a lack of closes, which means a lack of demo calls, which is a lack of discovery calls, which is a lack of prospecting. You actually have an appointment issue, not a revenue issue. Every business. Yep. It's the same thing. It doesn't yeah. matter what their what their thing is. It even, doesn't even have to be B2B. It could be direct to consumer. It's still, you don't have enough people who want what you have, period. Yep. And, and or the skills to convert those people. Because sometimes I see people who have enough conversations, they're just not good at the sales part. Oh, um, yes, of course. Right. And, and, and I think, you know, when talking about your specific service, talking to that person who says they can't afford it, my mind, just because I started out my sales career after mortgages, I was helping people in foreclosure, you know, helping people to avoid losing their homes, then helping people who had credit card debt, avoid bankruptcy. And so for me, I learned early on, like I saw the worst case scenario if someone didn't take action. If someone didn't let me help them, not sell them, if somebody didn't let me help them and didn't sign the, you know, whatever the agreement was so that I could, I could help them. I could see, literally I had examples and saw the worst case scenario, right? The sheriff's coming at 10, 10 a.m. on Friday and kicking you and your stuff out of your house and now you're homeless. Like you don't do what we need to do. Um, and so same thing with you, right? So if they don't sign up and they have, they don't have the money to pay for your service. Like I've sold other B2B SaaS, like uh, marketing platforms to people. If you don't have enough money to pay for that, which would then help you make more money, then I'm even more worried about you um, than I was five minutes ago. Because now I'm really worried. <laughs> yeah, you, that's, that's you exactly even, right. <laughs> you, you won't even be here next month. And my brain goes to lose your job, no income, no revenue. Right now, there's no jobs available. So what are you going to do? Homeless, living under a bridge, divorced. Like, that's where my aggressive side comes from, which is I can't let you stay stuck. Like, I just can't. Yeah, well, well, and, and that's just it. It's just like uh, there's a lot of people who get this kind of waffling that happens in the sales process because they're nervous. Like, I think some of the people are worried about, you know, it, what if it doesn't work? Like, sometimes we get that from people. It's like, well, well what if it doesn't work? And I, I kind of turn back around and say, well, what if it does? Yeah. Like, what would that look like? You know what I mean? At the end of the day, you've been sitting here, you know, waffling up and down, but you know, your revenue's like a roller coaster and it's, you kind of have a waterline, but you haven't really grown and you're worried about what if this doesn't work? What if it took you from 10,000 a month to a hundred thousand a month? 
right? Well, because that's actually the, the realistic type of outcome that can happen if people actually change the way they do business. Is it going to happen in one month? No. But could, it, could, could you go from 10,000 monthly recurring to 100,000 in 12 months? 100%. We did it twice. Yep. And, and I think the key is also for those people who are super scared and stuck, one of the things I've found successful in like if selling what you're talking about, like with your service is how many new clients would you need for this to have paid for itself? How many is that? What is that yeah. one? Is that one? It, Cause I know what your price is of your packages, right? So like, is that one client over the next three months will literally pay for this whole service? Uh, do you think you could get one more client? Like if you think this would work well enough for you to get one? If so, then it's a no-brainer. If you get two, you're now a genius. Yeah, well, and that and that's the crazy part. It's interesting, you know. You it's it's neat to have a conversation with you because you really get the sales process of it. But we actually went from a only done for you recurring model where we have you know three month commitment, then month to month after that we'll earn your business beyond the three months. We've actually gone more to a done with you model where we charge only for three months, then we never charge them again. And the right. reason we did that is because a lot of people were coming back to us and were like, this is amazing. Like, can I learn more and can I do more? Yes. If you knew this before you became a customer, that would be a really good idea. But because you're, you know, because someone's already a customer and asked that question later, we kind of thought about that and said, hey, could we create something that you don't have to worry about ROI because you're going to spend money for three months and you're never going to pay us again? That's impossible to not make money when it doesn't cost you anything beyond three months. And because it me, still works. Like, yeah, exactly. And, and and that's part of when, when I'm working with people and, and companies to build their sales process or refine or fix or transform or uh, uh, detonate and rebuild from scratch, uh, sometimes is what it takes, is that kind of package that you put together to me as a customer shows me that you, you're not just a, an MRR hungry business, right? Like your goal is to get someone into an MRR scheme and then collect from them every month and either make it difficult to cancel or hope they forget that they're being charged every month, right? Like that's not your goal. Your goal is to actually help your clients. Um, and you prove that by saying, we'll teach you this, pay us this for three months. And literally you have the keys to the castle and you can do it. Um, when companies offer that, if somebody doesn't even take, up, take them up on that offer, that kind of done with you offer, there's so much trust that go, okay, if they're willing to do that, then I, I want to be a part of them. And I think that's the key shift for a lot of people in sales and a lot of companies, which is it's not about me. I don't care. It's 8 billion people on the planet. I will find enough people. I'm doing this for you because I want to help you and I want to make sure you're successful. Well, that's it. That's exactly it too. And I think payment terms come into this a lot too. We've actually gone so far as to say in our done with you, people come to us and, and I actually don't even mind on the show here. This this will get released uh, probably in a, in a couple of weeks here and I'm sure our pricing will change over time. But as of this date, October 28, 2020, our done with you is $899 a month for three months. So it's $899 times three. It's, it's, you know, a 20, what is that? That's a $2,700 package, right? And we even tell people it is not $2,700 up front. It is $899 a month for three months, day one, 31 and 61. Because if you give me $2,700 up front, what's my incentive to continue working with you on right. day two through day 90? It, it goes away very quickly because we're on to the next deal. But if I structure the deal where you pay me on day 131 and 61, I'm always working towards those milestones. And if you're in the done for you program that goes beyond three months, well, then after the three months, I'm working towards that next payment every single time because I want to be able to retain you as a customer 
customer and give you more value than what you're paying us. Always. And a lot of businesses do not have a pricing model that has anything to do with that. It's always give me everything up front and good luck. Yeah. And that's the difference between long-term, you know, focus and short-term focus. I mean, I have a a wide range of uh, consulting clients. I mean, I spent pretty much all of my professional career inside telephone, direct-to-consumer sales. And now I have like B2B sales. I even have retail furniture client. I mean, I have all, all kinds of different industries. And what's fascinating because it's always true is the best salespeople and like in my mind, as far as being a professional and the best organizations care about their prospects long-term, not just short-term. It's not about just what can I get from them today? It's about what's the lifetime value of a, of a super satisfied raving fan not just a client, right, on an MRR, but like a lifetime value of a raving fan. What will that mean for a company? What will they come back for? What will they want? How do I service them? Even if you have a one-time sale, if you have that attitude, it just creates amazing results because people will trust your intentions much different. Yeah, so so to, to kind of like wrap up the last little piece of the, the, the show here, let's talk a little bit about your offers, not necessarily like the price points and the different kind of models, but really just like the high level, like what it is that you offer to companies and then how can they reach out to you to start that conversation to see if, if there's a good fit between your services and their products. Yeah, I don't have it as productized as you do, um, partially because a lot of people have different needs and they're in different places of of where they're at with their business or individually. Uh, The main thing I help a lot of companies with is consultation on usually a monthly retainer basis because it's not about one project. It's not, hey, can you write me a script? Hey, can you do this? It's more of like, okay, we've got you know, 20 things we need to fix. So we'll start with a gap analysis, figure out where the issues are that are keeping from hitting the goals, right? What can we improve uh, from technology to marketing, to training, to, to staffing, to recruiting, um, and then work on that over, you know, three, six, nine, I mean, I have 12 month clients where, you know, we're working on things and growing them. Um, a lot of times I'm helping organizations where there's a hole in the organizational org chart, like we were talking about, where there's the owner, there's the sales team, and there's somebody missing. The company hasn't gotten to that point yet or doesn't have the structure in place to support a director of sales or a VP of sales. And so I'll come in and, and help build it to that point so they can. Um, so that's on one side. And then I am also doing workshops and uh, training and coaching to help teams improve or change, uh, especially under the authentic persuasion focus and helping them shift, especially a lot of order takers and, and help them find a way to be successful. So anything from consulting to workshops to, you know, one-off engagements, sometimes, like I said, it is about writing the script. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, coaching in, and mentoring individuals and executives outside of their organization, you know, that are looking for ways to improve beyond what they're being offered in their company. Yeah. And and what's the best way for them to actually reach out? Is there a website, LinkedIn? Like what's the best channel for you? Uh, I am very active on LinkedIn. So anyone wants to reach out to me, they can find me on there. Um, The other best place to go, I've made it simple. If they go to jasoncutter.com on there is a hub. So you can find everything from the book to my podcast, to my consulting website, to various ways to reach out to me. Uh, Jason, jasoncutter.com. 
super simple. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the prospecting show. This was a little bit longer episode than typical, but I think it's good because we're really tying in, you know, values of the prospecting show and actually setting appointments and taking appointments and then also doing the sales process, outsourcing it to the rest of your team internally. So I guess it's insourcing the sales process and then actually building a, a group around that so you can actually convert deals and have scripts with someone like yourself. So I appreciate you coming on the show for all of you who are listening here. Uh, just re reach out. Uh, Jason's actually pretty easy to uh, get a hold of. So reach out, figure out how he can help you with, uh, with your business, jump on the phone. And thank you so much for coming on the prospecting show. Thank you, Connor.